Good morning. Well, I am um, first time this year, um, or that I can remember, I almost forgot. Changed the clock last night. That would have been interesting, you know, see what that would look like, or what I'd look like. But um, anyway, yeah, set the alarm for you know six o'clock, and but then almost forgot to change the time. So, okay. Well, here we are, man. I want to, I want to echo what Jeff said about Good Friday service. Um, really is part of what I'm beginning to say this morning. It's, it, it's, it is part of Easter. It's part of this whole season of, of year that we're in. And um, I think you, you really miss something if you miss Good Friday and just simply come to Easter Sunday. See, in the weeks leading up to Easter, all around the world, millions of Christians devote their time to thinking about the passion of Jesus Christ, the the suffering and death of our Lord and every, everything that was involved in those last days as he, you know, he's coming down toward his death on the cross. And I don't know if you've, if you've done that, but if you, you know, all, all four Gospels give to us a, a record of, of those events. And each one of the Gospels in, in their own way gives a, a particular insight to something that occurred during that period of time. And so what we're doing right now is we're, we're doing this through the Gospel of John. On these Sundays leading up to Easter, we're, we're looking at how John tells this, how, how he records for us the passion of Jesus Christ, all the different details from, from his perspective. Now, if you remember last, a uh, couple weeks ago, uh, Jeff began this series with... Um, Sermon from chapter 13, John's Gospel, where Jesus Christ is washing the feet of his disciples, and he does that to, to model for them servanthood. And, and remember that, that key statement that Jeff put in front of us, and you before me, you before me, the thing to walk out of here with. And then last Sunday, I, I looked at John chapter 17. We dug into that chapter, and we looked at the prayer that Jesus Christ prayed for, for himself, the prayer that he prayed for the disciples following him right then, and, and the prayer that he really prayed for all of us today, in fact, the church down, down through the centuries. And the key statement that I asked you to remember there it had to do with, with Christ's love, his incredible love for God, his Father, God the Father, and his love for each one of us. Now, the, the event that is described for us in today's passage, John chapter 18, the first 11 verses, is probably uh, one that many of us, maybe uh, most of us here today, have, have read ourselves. Um, you know, we can't count the number of times we've read it, or we've heard it read, or we've even heard a, a sermon on it. It's just very, very familiar, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, where Judas brings the soldiers, and and, and Christ is, is, is arrested. Um, uh, you know, in my own personal life, as I thought about this, I, I growing up in church like this, I, I did, and I, I, can, I couldn't even give you the number of times I've read these verses, I've, I've heard them read, I've, 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 you know, I'm, I'm guessing I've heard a lot of sermons on them, and, but I gotta tell you everybody, 
this, this week, as I, as I dug into these 11 verses, it was, they were, they were eye-opening for me. It's like I'd never read them before. It's like, wow, you know, where, where this, where's all this been? I've come, I've, somehow I've, I've, I've missed it. And, you know, I've, I've come to understand, like I never understood before, how much these 11 verses apply to my own life and apply to each one of our lives. And, and, and what just jumped out at me on this is, and, and this is the thing that, you know, if, I'd encourage you to write it down or, or, you know, just remember this. Don't forget this. It's a, really a key statement that I, I, I'd like you to leave with today. And it's, it's, it's in fact, is a key word, confidence. Confidence to trust. I mean, that's just the thing that just jumped out at me as I, as I looked at these verses, that I have absolutely every reason to have confidence in Jesus Christ and, and put, all my, put all my trust in him. You know, it might be that you've come here today thinking that you like Jesus, you like what he said, you like what he did, but you don't believe he's God. And so when it comes to a relationship with God and, and, and your own eternity, right now you're still trusting in yourself. It's, it's what you do or what, what you don't do. Or it might be that you're someone, you've come here today and you believe in Jesus Christ, but you've been beating yourself up because of personal failure in your life, because of sin that you, know, you tend to repeat and you just don't seem to... Get a handle on it, and so you're beating yourself up. And, and, and I just want to say for, for both of you, as you're sitting out here this morning, anybody in one of those two frame of minds, if you come here, I want you to know that this morning you have every, you have every reason to have confidence in Jesus Christ. You have every reason to trust him. And there's, there's three things that, the, that, that I found in this passage that, that help us understand this, and the first one is the gr- claim that Jesus Christ makes, made. It's, a, it's the greatest claim that anyone has ever made, you, you ever hear. The second one is the problem that we all have. And, 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 and the fact is that it is a, it's the greatest problem that you and I face. And the third one is the mission that Jesus Christ came to fulfill. And it's the greatest mission in the history of the world. So that's what we're going to... We're going to focus on today why, why we can have confidence in Jesus Christ, confidence to trust him, and we're going to look at these three things that show us this. So first of all, but let's see how this whole thing sets up, how it was that Jesus is arrested. So in John chapter 18, verse 1, we read this, when he, had, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. And on the other side, there was an olive grove, and he and his disciples went into it. And so what, what John tells us here is that after Jesus Christ finished praying, and the prayer that he was praying is the prayer that we looked at last Sunday from John chapter 17. And the place that Jesus and his disciples left was that room where they had that, that Passover meal, the room where, where Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. And so they left the room and they left the city of Jerusalem and heading east, they, they walked down into the, what was, what's called the Kidron Valley and then they walked through that and, and then up into the hills on the other side into a, into a grove of, of olive trees. Here's where it's so good to you know, read the other accounts in the other Gospels because if you read the other Gospels, you find out that the, 
that grove of olive trees had a name. It's called Gethsemane. In fact, it's a place that is, is very famous because of, of another prayer that Jesus Christ prayed. And I'm guessing that many of us have also heard that prayer. It's much shorter. It's not a, it's not a whole chapter. And I'll, I'll just begin saying, saying it and see if you can finish it with me. He, he prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yeah, Father, not as I will, but as you will. This, this, this is an expression of, of our Lord's love for his Father and his love for each one of us. It's him, it's him saying, you before me, God, you before me, God. It's, 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 a, it's a way of him saying, I put all of mankind before myself. Now, hold on to this because we're going to come back to it. Verse 2. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. Evidently, this was a place that Jesus had gone so often with his disciples. It was like maybe the second place they would go to if they weren't in Jerusalem. And so Judas knew that if they didn't find Jesus in Jerusalem, then it was likely that they would find him in the Garden of Gethsemane. In fact, if you think about it, it was like the ideal place to arrest Jesus Christ because there wouldn't be anybody else there. It was the ideal time. It was after dark. It was night. And, you know, but here's the deal with this, okay? <laughs> Judas wasn't in control of how it would all come down. He might have thought he was. He might have thought, oh, I'm going to get Jesus now. I'm going to get him where there's nobody else around. And he's not going to be expecting us to show up. But, but you know what? If he thought that, Judas was absolutely wrong because Jesus knew. He knew. Which leads us to the claim that Jesus made. And what I think is the greatest claim a person could make. And so we find this in verse 3 where we read, so Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees, and they were carrying torches and lanterns and weapons. And if you notice here, there were two groups of soldiers involved in the arrest of Jesus Christ. There was the temple guard that sent, you know, represented the Jewish people and the religious leaders. And then, and then there was this, this Roman detachment. And the thing that, I, that just struck me about this is how, you know, you've got two, two groups of soldiers that never were on the same radar. You know, they, that you, you hardly ever would think of them as being together. And it, I think it's an example of how, you know, that, that old statement that a common cause will make for a place for strange bedfellows, you know. That's what we've got going on here. The common cause is, is, you know, get Jesus arrested, get him put to death, and, and be done with him. Get him, out of, get him out of the way. Verse 4. And here's the statement. Jesus knowing all that was going to happen to him. <laughs> How far back? All the way back in eternity he knew this. And you see, there's absolutely no surprise here. And, you know, the thing that you and I have got to understand is that, is that what was true for Jesus, for himself, him knowing what was going to happen to himself back then, what was true for him, is true for every one of us 
today. Point don't miss this, okay? Friend, anything that happens in your life is not a surprise for Jesus Christ. The hardest thing you can imagine going through, he's, 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 he's not caught off guard. He, he knows all about it. He knew all about it way back in eternity, and he's, he's able to lead you through it. You know, I, I would say that I never have understood it better than I do now. With what Beck and I have gone through losing our son Greg six months ago, you know. And, and so I can, I can stand before all of you today and I, I can say, yeah, you know what? You can have absolute confidence to trust in Jesus Christ. I mean, he'll lead you through it, whatever it is you go through that's hard. And it's all because of who he is. Again, look at this statement in verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked him, Who is it you want? And Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. Here's where the translators had a, I mean, they had really a challenge in translating the Greek into, into English. To, to make it intelligible to us, to make it so that it would make sense to us, they, they translated the Greek to say, I am he. But literally, the word he is not there. It's not there. Now, this is going to be worth it, all right? So, I mean, just... Stay with me on this one. You see, what Jesus actually said in answer to, to their response was, he's, he said, I am. I am. I'm God. I'm God who had no beginning. I'm God who had no end. I'm God who has no cause. I'm God. Let, let me show you an example of this from the Old Testament where God said this to a man by the name of Moses, where God spoke to him out of a burning bush. And I don't know if you know Moses' story, but Moses, this was back when, at a time when the Jewish people were in slavery in Egypt, and, 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 Jewish, and, and, and Moses himself was Jewish. But, I mean, God did this amazing thing where, where he was adopted as a newborn, very newborn, you know, new baby by Pharaoh's daughter. And he was brought into uh, Pharaoh's court and he lived there for the first 40 years of his life. But he, he always identified himself with the Jewish people. And so, at, at, you know, when he was 40 years old, he, he sees an, Ish, uh, an Egyptian trying to kill an Israelite. And so he defends the Israelite and kills the Egyptian. And he has to flee for his life. And he goes to a place called Midian and he spends the next 40 years there. At the end of that 40 years, he's now 80 years old and God suddenly appears and speaks to him out of this burning bush. And, and, and if you read Exodus 3, you see there's this conversation between Moses and and, and God, where Moses tries to work this thing out. I mean, it's kind of fun. He's like, it's, he's negotiating with God. At the end of which he says, all right, suppose I do this. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, well, what's his name? What am I going to say? <laughs> and God says, this is what you say to the Israelites you say, I am. I am has sent me to you. God, eternal God. 
No beginning, no end. The God who has no cause. You see, that's the exact same answer that Jesus gave to the soldiers in the garden. And, it, and, it, and it's not the first time he identified himself this way. In John chapter 8, there's this passage where uh, the enemies of Jesus Christ are talking about Abraham. And Jesus looks them straight in the eye and he makes a statement. He said, before Abraham was born, I am. I go, and, and if you read that passage, you'll see that the guys who heard him say this understood exactly what he was saying, that he was claiming to be God. And so that's why they, they picked up the stones, you know, to, to, to stone him to death. And so no doubt about it, this was a staggering claim. It's the greatest claim possible for any person to make. And it's as much a problem for many people in our world today as it was for the guys who tried to stone him. And here's the reason why. Jesus is saying something here that no other founder of any other major religion has, has ever said. In fact, he's saying the exact opposite. Because the, the founder of every other major religion, this is what they say, what they said. They, they'd say, I'm here to show you the way to God. I'm here to show you the way to the truth. I'm, I'm, I'm here to show you how to live. And, and, and see, Jesus, Jesus didn't say that. He, he had the audacity to say, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He said, I'm not here to show you how to find God. He said, I'm the uncreated, beginningless God come to find you. I mean, two opposites. The founder of every other religion said, I've come to show you the way to God. And Jesus said, I am God. God come in the flesh, come to find you because you're never going to find me unless I come to find you. Totally different. And it's a problem for many. In our modern Western paradigm when it comes to religion. And so, really, what is this paradigm that we live with in our world today? It's, it's this. It's this. this you're going to hear this over and over again. All the different religions, including Christianity, are good options. They all meet people's needs. And all you need to do is decide which one is the best for you. But you see, Jesus won't let that happen. Do you understand why? Everybody, we got to be so clear about this. If Jesus said who said, said he is, you know, who he is, if he said he's God, and he did, then Christianity is unique from every other religion. It's supremely unique. It's, it's infinitely superior to every other religion. You see, there is no other option. But if he's wrong, if he's a liar, if he's a, you know, some kind of a, a lunatic, somebody who's out of his mind, some kind of egomaniac, you know, then Christianity can't be one good religion among many. In fact, you should despise it. You, you, should, you shouldn't find its teachings inspiring. See, you can't be neutral about Jesus. You just can't. You can't. You can't say, I, I, I don't believe he's God, but I sure like his teachings. 
You see, if you do, it's, if you say something like that, it's likely that you've never really read what he, what he taught, what he said, because over and over again, it's just saturated with his claim to be the Son of God. For example, Matthew chapter 23, he said to his enemies at one point, he said, I've sent you prophets and teachers over the centuries and you killed them all. I mean, you go like, what's he saying? He sent. Or in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18, he said, he said I saw Satan fall, you know, like lightning from heaven. I mean, that just begs the question, who are you? Where were you that you saw Satan fall from heaven? No, it's in every page of the Gospels. You cannot be neutral about Jesus Christ. He doesn't, he doesn't even let this happen the night he's arrested. Even, even that night he said that he's God. Someone who really put this well, you might be surprised, was Bono from U2. A few years ago, Bono was interviewed... And the interviewer said to him, Jesus Christ has value and has ranked among the great thinkers of the world, but, but son of God, don't you think that's far-fetched? To which Bono responded, and I love it, and put it up here for you. He said, no, it's not. The secular response to the Christian story always goes like this. He, he was a great prophet. He had a lot of good things to say, like Muhammad and Buddha and Confucius. But Jesus doesn't allow you to say that. Christ says, no, don't call me a teacher or a prophet. I'm saying that I'm God incarnate. And so Bono says we're left with really this. Either Christ is who he said he is, or he's a, I'm Bono, this is Bono, or he's a complete nutcase on the level of Charles Manson. And he said, I'm not joking here. The, the idea that the entire globe, one half of the human race, has had its history completely changed by a nutcase, for me, that's far-fetched. That's logic. Okay? That's, that's being logical. And so my question for you this morning, and I just say this with with all the love inside of myself, my, my, my question for you this morning is, are you being logical? You see, this is very hard for, for, for some of you to accept because it goes against, you know, and it, it goes in the face of, of your paradigm, the paradigm in, of the world in which we live. Here, here's what I need to say, and boy, just, you know, hear me on this. I... I, I I mean it with love, okay? It's, it's not intellectually honest to have a mild response to Jesus Christ. Yeah. I'd have to say, if you have a, if you have a mild response to Jesus Christ, you're, you're lacking some intellectual integrity. You see, if Jesus really made these claims, and he did, and, and, and you decide he's right, what, what you've got to do is you've got to fall on your knees before him in love and commitment and say, my Lord and my God, and, and then absolutely build your entire life around him. You see, you have confidence to trust him. But if you decide he's wrong, you, 
You should have nothing to do with him. You should only have utter disdain for him and everything that he's taught, the religion he began. You see, really, honestly, everybody, the only out you have with this is to be temporarily neutral. And you had time to study it and figure it out. But the thing that has no integrity is for you to say that, that you kind of like Jesus, that you kind of like his teachings, and that you pray every once in a while and, and come to church every so often. You see, I gotta, I gotta be honest with you, that has no integrity. To tepidly respond to Jesus Christ means that, I mean, just being blunt here, okay, it means you're not thinking, it means you're not listening to what he said. The second thing this passage teaches us that, that really gives us confidence to trust in Jesus Christ is it, it, it shows us the greatest problem that you and I as human beings have. Look at this statement in verse 6, John, John writes, When Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. They drew back and fell to the ground. The, the, the first question we should ask ourselves was, who's the they? Who's the they that, that John's writing about? It, it's, it's, it's the temple guard, and, and it's this detachment of Roman soldiers. And, you know, I don't know about the temple guard, but I can tell you, these Roman soldiers were battle-hardened men. I mean, they were like Navy SEAL types. And, and so, here you have it, okay? You've got this teacher, this rabbi standing there, and, he said, I am. And this whole detachment of Roman hardened soldiers, they, they fall flat on their backs. Wow. They fall flat on their backs. Now, why would this happen? I mean, have you ever thought about this before? You see, throughout the Bible, you're, you're going to see that what we have here is is an example of, of a very important truth that I'd like to just put on your heart this morning to understand it. It's this, no one can stay on their feet in the presence of God. Everyone loses their footing because we're finite human beings and we're sinners and God is an infinitely powerful, glorious God and God is absolutely holy. And so we get ourselves in the presence of God. We fall on our face. Let me give you some examples. Go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 5 in the Old Testament. And there you see that they've, the temple's all done and they're dedicating it to God and they're worshiping God. And, and suddenly the presence of God, the glory of God just comes down on that temple. And what we're told is that the priests who were ministering in the temple couldn't do it anymore. See, I'm convinced they were on their face. On their face. Or go to the sixth chapter of Isaiah where this prophet is given this vision of God, high and exalted, the glory of God. And, and these angels are just circling God and they're worshiping him and they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And what does Isaiah say in response to all of this? And I'm convinced he said it on his face. Woe is me. Woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I, I live among the people of unclean lips. I mean, you're just overwhelmed by the glory of God. I'll go to one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. It's the first chapter of Ezekiel where 
God comes down, or, or, or Ezekiel, I should, actually, Ezekiel's given this vision of God. It's just an incredible chapter. If you've never read it, you've got to read it. And Ezekiel writes at the end of that chapter, after he's, see, as he's seeing God, he, he, said, he said, he writes, when I, when I saw the glory of God, I fell face down. I fell face down. Perhaps my favorite is Luke chapter 5, where Peter realizes who Jesus Christ is after that miraculous catch of fish. You know that story where they had been out fishing all night and Jesus meets them in the morning and asks them if they'd caught anything and he knew they hadn't. And he takes them out again with two boats and they catch so many fish the boats start sinking and Peter suddenly realizes I'm in the presence of God. And he, what does he say? We're told he got, he got on his face and he said, depart from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. Friend, read throughout scripture and you'll, you'll see this happen over and over again when people come into the presence of God and that's what happened to these soldiers. You know, it's like Jesus is flexing himself a bit before he goes to the cross. It's like, I'm going to have a little fun with these guys. And he gives them this little glimpse of his glory, you know. Oh, just, a, just a tiny little glimpse. And that little glimpse is enough to knock these guys flat on their back. Flat on their back. And here we are, again, up against our modern paradigm. Where people simply think of God as a warm fuzzy. You know, the, the good, good old guy up in the sky. And, and they have this kind of dismissive attitude toward God. The thing you got to know is, God's not just a warm fuzzy. And he's not just a good old guy up in the sky. And... God will not be dismissed. The truth is God's all-powerful. God's infinitely powerful and God is perfect in his holiness. And you and me, we're finite human beings and we're all sinners. And, and, and so there's this immense separation between ourselves and God and it's truly our greatest problem. This is the truth about God and it's... It's the truth about ourselves that we've got to know. And, and with this, the truth, that, friend, the, the day is coming when, when every one of us are going to bow before Jesus Christ. as King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, I don't know, some of you know that I've uh, been memorizing the book of Romans. And... Um, Last year, my son, Greg, challenged me to get out, you know, get past the 13th chapter. He said, oh, come on, Dad, you can do it. And so then I, I memorized chapter 14, and I'm so glad I did. Because listen to this. And I'm, I'd say it, but you know how it is. When you memorize something, and then you've got to say it in front of somebody, you, you can't do it. So listen to, listen to this. Yeah. Listen to this. Puts it all in perspective. For this very reason Christ died and returned to life. So that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. And then he, 
Paul writes, you then, why do you judge your brother? Why do you look down on your brother? And then he writes this, for we will all stand before God's judgment seat. You know what? We're going to stand for maybe about a minute. Because look at the next statement. It is written, and it's Jesus speaking. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue confess to God. Truth is, friend, there is a day of judgment. And on that day, we're either going to bow before Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord, or we're going to bow before him as our judge. And if it's the latter, we've got a really big problem. The greatest problem. And it'll stay with us for all of eternity. Which, and I'm so glad... Which brings us to the mission Jesus came to fulfill. And it's the greatest mission in the history of the world. And it's the solution to our problem. The greatest problem. And it gives us every reason to have confidence to trust in Jesus Christ. And so listen to this. John chapter 18 verse 7. Again he asked them. Who is it you want? And they said Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If, if you're looking for me, then let these men go. This, this happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Here, here's the deal, everybody. When the Roman soldiers arrived, the disciples, they were in mortal danger. You see... Protocol back then is that when you arrested a dangerous insurrectionist, and that's what they thought Jesus was, he was somebody who was trying to overthrow the Roman Empire. When you do that, you arrest all of his followers. You put them to death too. And so if Jesus would have intervened for his disciples, they would have, they would have been taken away and they would have been put to death and you would never have heard of them again. But Jesus very deliberately said, it's you, it's, it's me you want. Let them go. That's just why I just love, you know, being able to do two services because I can always count somebody's going to come up and add, add a thought. And I just love what, what Chris Ely came up to me after first service and he said, Steve, you know that, 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 that thing where he said, it's me you want? He said, that's got a kind of a double meaning to it. He was really saying to them, in a certain way, you really do want me. You really need me. You just don't get it yet. You know, but and then it's the second half. Of, I mean, I just love, that's like, whoa, I love that. But then, then, then the second half of that, he said, he said, let them go. Let them go. And ironically, maybe not ironically, the, the word let them go means forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them and take me. That's his mission. Me for them. Substitution. Jesus did it for these 11 men. And he does the same for you and me today. That's his mission. And it's the greatest mission in the history of the world. And it's right here in this passage. Look, look at verse 10. He, and, we, and I love this. And then Simon Peter who had a sword drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear, and then parentheses. The servant's name was Malchus. And Jesus commanded Peter, Peter, put your sword away. 
Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Um, all through scripture, the cup is God's judgment. It's God's justice. It's the cup that Jesus, remember when I started out, Jesus prayed that other prayer, Father, may this cup be taken from me, but Father, not my will, your will. The cup is the cup of God's judgment. And really, what Jesus is saying to Peter, he said, I'm willing to drink your cup for you. I'm, I'm willing to take the judgment of God on myself. I'm going to the cross to die for you. What he said to Peter, he sees, says to each one of us today, he's saying to you this morning, friend, I'm willing to drink the cup you should drink. I'm willing to drink the cup of God's judgment for your sin. So I've got to ask you, do you realize what this means for you? And right now, today, you can know with total certainty that when Jesus Christ appears in all of his glory, none of it's hidden, when he comes back to earth, you can know today that when he returns, you can have total confidence in this, that he comes back as your savior and not your judge. So here's what you need to do. And I'm just going to stop for a minute and then I'll come back to the rest of the sermon. I got one other thought. Here's what you need to do. I did it years ago. You need to have this conversation with God. And I'm just going to give you an opportunity to do it. If you've come here today and you said, wow, Steve, this is really, this is, I understand now. God is holy. I'm a sinner. And the only, only solution to my problem is Jesus Christ. If you understand that, you can pray. You can tell God that, okay? And you can do it in this simple prayer that I'm just going to lead you in. Okay, so I'm going to do that right now. And you can do it. You can have this conversation with God. Just repeat after me, okay? Let's pray. Well, Father, you are, you are God. You're infinite, infinite God. You're holy. And God, I'm a finite human being. And worse than that, God, I'm a sinner. And God, I thank you that you sent your son to die for me. Today, I accept your forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I'm, God, today, I'm going to let him drink the cup for me. The cup I deserve. Amen. Okay. Here's another thing here. This. You might have come here this morning and, and you've just been beating yourself up. You'd say, Steve, man, if I could sit down and have a conversation with you, I'd tell you that I, I, I fail. I fail over and over again. I sin the same sin. And Steve, sometimes I, I wonder, how, how is it possible? I mean, I, I prayed that prayer a long time ago, Steve, but you know, with how much I blow it and, and still sin, is it possible that I'm still a child of God, that I'm still forgiven, that I still have eternal life? You see, here's, why, here's where I like Peter so much. Good old Peter, you know? Peter kept doing what we all do, and he had his own way of doing it. He kept sticking his foot in his mouth, so he kept falling. You know, we, we each have our own thing we do, right? 
Peter spent three years with Jesus, training under Jesus. Doesn't get better now, right? For three years, Jesus has been telling his disciples about this moment. And again and again, he told them that I, I didn't come to rule. I didn't come to be king. I came to die. And he said, I didn't come to pick up a sword. I came to give my life. He's been telling them this. He's been getting them ready with the gospel. He's been telling them the gospel over and over again. And now the moment, the key moment comes. And what does Peter do? He, he grabs a sword and attacks. I can't tell you how encouraged I am that at that moment, Jesus didn't turn to the soldiers and say, I changed my mind. Take him. Yeah. Right? I mean, seriously. I mean, just think of this from Jesus' perspective. Peter denied him. And now we're coming right down to the very end, and it's like Peter's still denying it. You know, he's, like, he's still not getting it. He's still not willing to get it. I mean, Jesus could have said, man, am I going to die for a guy like this? But he doesn't. You know what he does? You know what he does? It's like he says, okay, Peter, one more time. Cup, drink. I mean, look at this. Verse 11, Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Friends, this is an unyielding love. I'm so glad Jesus never stops loving me in my stupidity. I'm so grateful that he never stops loving me when I keep failing him and sinning against him over and over again. You see, I can't do anything that would stop Jesus from loving me. And friend, here's something that will help you keep your footing no matter what comes into your life. It just gives you confidence. Total confidence to keep on trusting. Let's stand and let's pray. By the way, everybody, by the way, Malchus, the guy who lost his ear, read Luke's gospel. And you know what Jesus did? Put it back on. Can you imagine the story that guy had to tell? I bet he traveled around, you know, speaking about the day Jesus put his ear back on. You know, it's, All right. If you prayed this morning a few minutes ago and you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd, we'd love to have you pick up a packet. It's got a Bible in it and some other things that will help you. Out at Guest Central. And we, I mean, we just love to be able to connect with you. We'd love to know you made that decision today. Okay, let's... Let's pray and then we'll worship, okay? <sighs> Father, sometimes it just totally overwhelms me with so much gratitude to you every single day of my life and forever and all of eternity. I can have confidence to trust in you and your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.